Welcome to this new series of podcasts. I hope you're well in this season of grieving and of the gentle regathering of the people of God. Over the summer months, I've been trying to listen to what's going on across the world and in our own diocese of Oxford. I think this is going to be a year of listening carefully. Plans are laid for a visit to every deanery across the diocese. I'm looking forward uh, to being with you. I've also been trying to listen to what God is saying to us as a church through the first letter of Peter. It's a short letter, just five chapters. I'm hoping you might read it with me across this short series of podcasts. The letter begins in a very unusual way. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who've been chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in abundance. The unusual phrase here is exiles of the dispersion, people who are disorientated and not at home in the world. Peter uses similar language in two other places, in the letter. Live in reverent fear during the time of your exile, in 1.17. And in 2.11, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. Peter is writing to the church across a vast area, Asia Minor, the whole of modern Turkey. The Christian church is scattered and vulnerable there. A tiny number of Christians are dispersed here and there in small, struggling communities. They have no church buildings, of course. Not many are wealthy or influential. Many are slaves with no rights at all. There are very few leaders and probably no paid clergy. There's no guidebook on how to be a Christian. We don't even know if the church had yet copies of the Gospels. And these early Christians are suffering for their faith. The persecution they endure is sporadic at the time the letter was written, but it's going to grow as the Christian church becomes more visible. Peter is probably writing the letter from Rome, where life is becoming more difficult for the church and where he will, uh, in due course, die for his faith. We don't know exactly what Peter's connection is to these groups of scattered Christians. One theory which I think fits the letter well is that some of these people in these churches have been quite literally exiled from the city of Rome. They've been forcibly resettled by the Emperor Claudius in the new Roman colonies of Asia Minor. We know that kind of thing did happen around this time. They were forced to leave their homes and their extended families and settle in a distant part of the Roman Empire. Some take their new Christian faith with them, and perhaps they carried this letter to other Christians they met. And the letter becomes, in time, one of the foundation documents of the new church, and eventually becomes part of the Bible for every generation. Peter is writing to strengthen the church in uncertain times. And the question I'm bringing to these podcasts is, How exactly does Peter do that? 
As the Church now, in the Diocese of Oxford and in the United Kingdom and across the world, we too feel shaken and disorientated and confused. We feel disconnected with each other. We face very different challenges, of course, and we have 2,000 years of history behind us. But there are lessons here for us as we listen and ponder and find ways forward and regather in person and in new ways as we emerge from the pandemic. Over the course of the next year, the bishops of the Anglican Communion are meeting together in small groups every six weeks or so. The process began in July. And we hope, though we don't yet know, that we can meet together face-to-face in Canterbury for the Lambeth Conference in August of next year. Archbishop Justin has asked us to reflect together on this letter of 1 Peter. So every time my small group meets, we look at what the letter may be saying to a particular area of church life. I've found it quite hard to grow to love 1 Peter. In many ways, it's a challenging and quite difficult letter to read. I've really had to work at it. Other bishops in my small group have felt the same, I've noticed. I'm hoping we might be able to bring some of our conversations together into this series of podcasts. But it has been very moving for me to listen to different experiences the Church is having across the world. The last time we met as a small group of four, Bishop Margaret, who is from South Africa, told us about the economic consequences of COVID in her diocese. Unemployment is currently running at 46% of the working population. And her clergy are exhausted, not least from the number of funerals they're having to take. Bishop Jake, who is from Louisiana, another member of the group, had had three major hurricanes pass through or near his diocese in the last six weeks since we met the time before. The vaccine rates in Louisiana are very low and the intensive care units are full. The pandemic is still raging. And Bishop Mary in New York spoke very powerfully of her diocese, which was then just a few days away from marking the 20th anniversary of 9-11. We each faced different problems, but by God's grace, we've been able to find fresh inspiration from one another. So how does Peter strengthen these scattered groups of Christians who hardly know how to begin to be the church together. One way is to teach them and us to see ourselves as exiles. I'll come back to that later. But it's not the first place Peter goes. We know from our perspective that the medicine Peter offers is good for the church. If you look forward a hundred years from the time the letter was written, these would be some of the strongest and most productive fruitful centres of Christianity in the whole world. So Peter is laying a good foundation to use one of the images he gives us in chapter 2. But what is that foundation? Well, one strand is this imagery of exile, being called to live in the world but not belonging to it. We'll come back to that later. However, there's an even stronger starting point which runs through the letter like a thread of gold 
in a multicolored tapestry. This is the beginning and the end of all what Peter says. Peter draws the church back again and again to Jesus and to what Jesus has done, to his ministry, to his death, and to his resurrection. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his mercy he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Again and again, Peter brings us back to the person of Jesus. Is the scattered church bereft of hope? Then we begin with Jesus and his resurrection. Is the scattered church suffering? Then we begin with Jesus and his trials. Is the church wavering and uncertain? Then we return to Jesus and the heart of the gospel. Is the church uncertain how to live? Then we look to the example of Christ and to a phrase I've returned to over and over again, what it means to follow in his steps, 221. What kind of character are we to have as a church? The character of Christ, love for one another, a tender heart and a humble mind in chapter 3, verse 8. Again and again, whatever the question, Peter and Silvanus and Mark, the co-authors, draw their readers back to the Lord. Now, there is a lazy way to do this, by stating the answer superficially without ever naming the questions. Uh, whatever the problem is, the answer is Jesus. But that's not the way these three take us. Here there is a real grappling and wrestling with deep and fundamental questions. We're still grappling with some of them today. Each question is related back to the Son of God, to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. The result is not just new strength as we live out our faith, but also a deeper understanding, new insight about who Jesus Christ is in every generation. So what is the question? What's the starting point in this opening chapter? Without a doubt, the starting point is that the church has lost hope. The scattered Christians are facing impossible odds, enormous problems with scarce resources. And that's exactly how it feels to so many Christians today. You might be the only Christian you know in your workplace, in your school, in your university. You might feel as if you and your family alone are sustaining your local church. You might be worn out in ministry through COVID and feel that nobody has even noticed. Or you might be overwhelmed with the immense challenges facing the world in the climate crisis or in mental health or inequality. Without us even noticing, as we grapple with all of these problems and challenges, hope all too easily slips into the background of our faith. 1 Peter can't offer greater fellowship or more energy or more resources. The great power of the letter does not lie there. The power of the letter is that it draws us back when hope is lost to the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from death. The Christian faith is not, you see, about what we are doing for God. The Christian faith is about what God has done for us in sending his son Jesus Christ and in his death 
and especially in his conquest of death. Whenever we set the resurrection at the beginning and the heart of the church, we are then able to access the immense power which flows from this central act in the history of the world. Too often in the life of the church, and especially it seems in the Church of England, we think we can solve problems simply by focusing on the problems. If only we can get the church to think about the climate emergency, then surely we can solve it together. If only we can get the church to think about the mental health crisis, then surely we can make more resources available. But questions need answers. The problems faced by the world are deep, and they need deep answers. We must engage with the deep questions of our age, but in the knowledge that the famine we see is spiritual as well as physical. The single great event which restores the hope of humanity is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's this which changes everything. We know from where we sit now that the next 10 years will be testing for the life of the church. The pandemic has taught us this and it's shaken our foundations. Peter uses this very image in 1.7. Our faith is like gold refined in the fire of suffering or difficulty. We know now more clearly than we did before that we will not survive and grow simply by being a social grouping. We will not survive by becoming a preservation society for ancient and beautiful buildings. We will not survive only through environmental activism or as a channel for community service. All of these things are part of who we are, but they're not the centre. We will survive and flourish and fulfil our calling only as we come deeper into Christ and as we understand and know and declare our own belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this one truth transforms our understanding of the whole world and our place in it. As we put the resurrection of Jesus at the centre, so the stream of our love and faith and joy begin to flow again. The first time I read 1 Peter 1 this summer, I was amazed at how much emphasis there is on joy in this first chapter, given the challenges these early Christians face. It flows not from their circumstances, but from the resurrection. The first time my small group of bishops met for conversation, I was amazed at how much joy and encouragement there was from sisters and brothers in very different circumstances. It flows not from their circumstances, but by setting the resurrection and the person of Christ right at the heart of the church again and shaping our hope around that mighty truth. And that truth in turn reminds us that we are indeed exiles. Never to be at home in this world completely and always longing to be with Christ and for the new world which is to come. Our hope of that world is sure because we trust that Jesus is risen from the dead. Our hope casts new light on this world and it fires our longing for justice and care for creation and love for every person in the world. But we hope because we are not at home and the less we are at home here, the more we hope. There used to be a saying that sometimes Christians 
can be so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly use. It's a good saying and it's a genuine challenge. But the reverse is also true. Christians can be so earthly minded, so bogged down in the problems of this world that we are of no heavenly use. We lose our fire, our wonder, our joy if the resurrection of Jesus Christ slips from its central place in our lives. The more I've thought about this word, exile, the more challenging I've found it. The more I've realised that despite the pandemic, I've grown too comfortable and too at home in this world. I need a deeper hope, a deeper longing for eternity, for the new heaven and the new earth, and for the life beyond death, in which there is no weeping and mourning and separation and parting. We will be united with Christ forever. We will only navigate the challenges of the coming years if we learn to be a deeper church again and set the resurrection of Jesus at the centre. This is why Peter writes to us, exiles of a different age. Although you have not seen him, Peter writes, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy, for you are seeing the salvation of your souls.